Thank you for being here this morning. I remind you as I stand up to preach that he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So, we're in Matthew. We've continued on through the book of Matthew, just verse by verse. We're down to verse 27, the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew, verse 27. What a blessing to be able to preach after music like that. I praise the Lord, and I know you do too. I'm sure it's been mentioned, but remember to pray for Brother Case and his family. They're on vacation this week and uh, in Florida, so you pray for them and have a great time, a safe trip home. And I don't know, it's, it's kind of spring break. There may be some others. Are you going to Port Arthur? Not sure. <laughs> well, glory. All right. There'll be some others that are out too. You pray for our staff this week. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all sufficient word? Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. For it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and, do that thy, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Father, thank you this morning how we've already been blessed. I pray that you would cleanse me, that you would, Lord, let folk hear you and not me this morning. And I pray that you'd be high and lifted up in this service. Lord, we're asking you to do a great thing in our midst this morning. May your Holy Spirit have freedom, not only here, but also in our preschool worship and our children's worship. Lord, let your Holy Spirit just guide and lead people to the knowledge that they need to have today to make right decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've seen a transition in Matthew chapter 5, uh, the last couple of weeks on Christ and the law and uh, dealing with relationships. And there are a lot of people that misinterpret this scripture here and these relationships here. They want to separate Jesus from the law. They want to say Jesus is New Testament grace and the law is Old Testament non-grace. So you got to separate them. But I want to remind you that you cannot separate the Lord from the law because the Lord is the law. He didn't come to abolish it. He didn't come to put it on hold. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. And what the law demands of us, we cannot fulfill ourselves. But Jesus left heaven, came to earth, born in a manger, died on a cross, rose again the third day. He fulfilled the law. He completed the law so that we can have that heavenly home they were just got through singing about a while ago. For all of eternity, in Exodus chapter 20, Moses first gave these laws, and then God gives them over and over again. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Last week, we looked at the uh, topic, are you guilty of murder? And we talked about murder. Of course, everybody said, oh, no, I'm not guilty of murder. Well, by the time we got through with it, I think we're all guilty of murder. Uh, and so the question this morning is, are you guilty of adultery? Now, you'll be quick to hasten because uh, your wife going to jab you if you don't. That ain't me, honey. I'm not guilty of that. 
But I want to tell you, Jesus is going to do a little bit more clarifying here. He's going to do a little bit more revealing here to us. We've already decided, if I can get an amen on this, that there's only one king. Amen? We've already decided that there's only one kingdom. Amen? You don't have a kingdom without having a king. And so we've got a king and we've got a kingdom and he's no beginning, he's no end. He's king of kings and lord of lords. We're his servants. Amen? Well, some of you are. Bless God, we are to be his servants. And we want to be the best servant we can for the glory of God. Let me just remind you, if the kingdom is not going well today, it's not the king's fault. If the kingdom's not going well, it's not a problem with the king. It's not because we have a bad leader. It's not because we voted the wrong person in. It's not because the king made a mistake. It's going bad because we've not lined our lives up with the principles of the kingdom of heaven. We need to line our lives up. We're looking for, just like the Jews, let's just cut through the chase and be honest. Huh? Most of us in this place this morning, we're not looking for no righteousness or holiness or, or purity. We're looking for a kingdom that is political. We want to rule this place. We want to tell I hear people all I don't know what's going to happen in this next election. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Jesus is still going to be Lord. He's still, now I got some ways I want it to go, bless God. I ain't giving up. But I just want to tell you, don't tell me that, that the God doesn't know what's going on down here. He knows what's happening down here. And so, He's building a kingdom of righteousness, purity, and holiness, and so he wants us to be involved in that kingdom. We're to learn to be servants of that kind of kingdom. Now, let me just go through here quickly, and I've got uh, 32 pages of notes here. I am not lying. (laughs) Brother Case is not here. He usually preaches on Sunday night, so it'll be me tonight. I'm going to preach the positive side of this tonight. So you need to come back. This is all negative this morning, but we'll get to the positive tonight if you want to hear the positive side of it. Uh, come back tonight at 6 o'clock there, all right? Now, let's look at it. First of all, we see a standard is elevated. How marvelous. Thou shalt not commit adultery, but in one sentence, Jesus elevates the entire concept of sexual purity beyond the physical, and he, and he puts it as a matter of soul and heart. You see, thou shalt not commit adultery was purely physical. Do not commit adultery. That's all physical. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you. See, he elevates this thing from being a physical external to being a part of the soul and the heart. He's saying, I say unto you. He's shown us our hearts has uncovered the source of our trouble. And his words are cutting to us here. They expose to us our sin, and they show us his radical righteousness. He is, listen, he is radically righteous. We'd say, oh, no, let's don't be, we're fanatics if we did all that. If we believed that, we'd be fanatics. Jesus is radically righteous. The pronoun there, he said, first of all, is that word I. It's the Greek word ego. What Jesus is saying here is he's putting his own words above the authority of the rabbis. Remember we talked last week about ye have heard because the children of Israel had been so long under captivity that they couldn't even read their own language. And so they all, all they could understand was what the rabbis told them. Now, I tell you, uh, that's dangerous. It'd be all right if you had a perfect leader. I don't know of any of those. 
But in these days, that's why he said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I, my teaching is more important than what the rabbis are telling you. He's saying, I'm telling you right now. Uh, and then, then the word looks is a Greek word, blepo. It refers to a continuous process of looking. It, it's, this idea here is not that it's a, a quick look. You know, a good-looking lady walks by, whoo, well, look at there, and then you go on. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a good-looking lady walk by, and you just keep staring, and you just keep staring, and you just see. And then there's another concept to it, too. Not only is he saying that you looketh with lust, but also it can be interpreted that you want to cause her to look back at you with lust. That's why, guys, you kind of suck it up when they walk by. God love them. If they don't hurry up and get on by, you're going to die right there from lack of breathing. <laughs> he's, saying, he's saying, if you've done that, you've already committed uh, adultery in your heart and thoughts. Now, don't, don't miss this. It's not lustful looking that causes the sin in the heart. Hmm. It's the sin in the heart that causes lustful looking. Mm. See, Matthew 19 tells it, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, fault, blasphemies. So Jesus raises the standard here. It's not your lust that's getting you in trouble. It's your wicked heart. That's what he's dealing with here. Uh, boy, it could be illustrated with David and Bathsheba. You know, it's a warm night. He couldn't sleep, so he goes up on the rooftop. He looks over there in Palestine. There's this good-looking lady over there. He begins to think about that. He begins to look at that and say, I, mm, I want her. And they say, whoa, 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 that's Uzziah's Why? I don't care who it is. I want her. Now, what that tells me is that fantasy precedes the act, and that's how it's always been. You think you can fantasize and everything will be all right and you won't ever go any further. I'm going to tell you, fantasy precedes the act. No sensual sin was ever committed that was not first imagined. And the scripture says this, and our experience confirms this. Our imagination, that's one of the things that makes us different from animals today and is one of God's wondrous gifts. We can, build, we can dream great dreams. You know, our imagination can build great dreams. I remember <clears throat> 15 years ago, uh, the Lord showed me, and I, and I don't want to get super holy on you here in spiritual because I'm not, but I'm telling you, God showed me that I needed to come to Woodland Hills. Didn't want to come, but that was God's will, and we came. God showed me in that first little church, we need to knock out that wall. People say, don't, who, who, what are you talking about knocking out a wall? You ain't tearing down one of our walls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, you can dream. If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. If you don't see it, I'm seeing a children's building over there. And bless God, by January, we're going to see it in the flesh. Amen. Pray for that, that, that building, everything to work together. If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. Mm. He, he raised the standard. He raised the standard. Not only is it just physical anymore, but he's turned it into a soul and heart. So what do we do? What, what, what can we do? Well, 
<clears throat> I got some good news and some bad news. Those of you who just went through surgery, it's bad news. You need some radical surgery. <laughs> In order to get where God wants us to be, we're going to, Oswald Chambers said this, this line of discipline is the sternest one that ever struck mankind. Wow. You see, Jesus used this over and over again uh, in, in, uh, in variations. Uh, uh, a lot of people have taken him literally. You know, he said, pluck your eye out. They take it literally, and they pluck their eye out. Uh, I read a couple of historians there. Most famous case, origin of Alexandria. Uh, in order to keep him from being sensual, he decided that he would let him castrate himself. You know what? When he got through, his mind was still thinking. You pluck your eye out, the eye ain't the problem. You cut your arm off, the arm ain't the problem. The problem's in the heart. The problem's when sin is in the heart. Uh, another outstanding example in history in the early church, the hermits and the monks, they went to the desert there uh, because they didn't want to have any desires of the body. Well, let me tell you, you can get away in the desert all you want to, but your heart's still operating, and your mind and your thoughts are still operating. So what's the Lord talking about here when he talks about spiritual surgery or mortification? He, he uses a word for offend. It's a Greek word to displease or to make angry. That's not the, the sense of the word the Scripture uses here. It's a noun, and it, it, literally it's like a bait stick in a trap. That's what it is. What it's referring to is a picture of a, maybe a hidden stone in a path uh, where you, you stumble and fall. Or maybe it's retirement. When you get 66, you, you stumble on your own feet and fall. You don't even need a stone in the path. Uh, and, and he talks about maybe a snare, whatever it is that ensnares you. Maybe they've dug a, a deep ditch there and they've covered it over with some leaves and suddenly you're walking through and zoom, you just drop down in the ditch. Whatever it is that's ensnaring you, what is it that causes you to go to the fact that you want to lust in your heart and, and commit sin there? It, it signifies anything by which we fall or ensnared. Ezekiel said, but they rebelled against me, would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then said I, I'll pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. Do you really think Jesus was pushing for us to self-mutilate ourselves? Folk, if that was a doctrine, we'd be a lot of blind folk in this place today. If that's what Jesus was teaching, self-mutilation, there'd be a lot of one-handed people in this place today. In fact, there'd be a lot of no-handed people in this place today because you'd have done cut everything off just to, get to, to be able to get to heaven. But I want to tell you, parting with a body part is not going to get you into heaven. And I praise God that it's not necessary to do that. And the reason it's not necessary to do that is because Jesus has come and died, and we already have victory. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. The victory is already ours. So cutting off or gouging out the offending part is not... Uh, is a way of saying literally that the disciples need to deal radically with sin. We need to deal with sin. And folks, this morning, there's a lot of folks that don't want to deal with sin. We know. We know what sin is. 
We know what's keeping us from being sold out completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need some loudmouth preacher to tell you what's wrong. You already know in your heart what's wrong. What you need to do is let the Holy Ghost of God fall on you and you get rid of it and get right with God. That's what needs to happen. See, the real source of the sin of adultery comes from within man's heart, his imaginations. So if the problem is the heart, what good is it to pluck the eye out? You're going to still live. If the problem is the heart, what good does it do to cut off the left arm or the right arm? you still got the other one to carry on sinful acts. Hmm. Well, all sin, especially sexual sin, begins with imagination. So it's important for you to get in your mind. We used to say in, car, in uh, college, we had... Uh, Gibo, garbage in, garbage out. The Bible says it like this. God's not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. You want to reap the world? You want to reap destruction? Then sow yourself the world. Sow yourself the filthy movies. Sow yourself all of those things in, in life that are hatred and, and bitter, and you'll reap that same thing. You want to reap the things of God, the spiritual things. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, you think on these things. Wow. Think on these things. We need to take drastic actions to deal with our temptations and to deal with our sin and remove them at any cost. Amputation involves pain. It involves discomfort. It even involves inconvenience. And to keep you from committing adultery, not only physically, but also in your soul and heart, may involve painful things. But purity is going to be worth the pain. Because I want to tell you, a greater pain than having an amputation, a radical surgery of your spiritual uh, heart and soul is to end up losing your purity and your testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have fallen into the sin of adultery could stand up this morning and say, there's a whole lot more pain involved in it than what anybody ever thought. There's a lot more involved. Proverbs 4.25, let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight. Psalm 119.3, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in the way. If your eyes cause you to sin, then uh, the object you see, uh, he's saying here that you need to make sure you get to a place where your eyes aren't given that temptation. Now, when we were growing up, the big thing was where the magazines were. I mean, you wanted to walk in the store where you could look at the magazines. And we had churches have big rallies trying to get people to put the magazines behind the counters and all. Well, you know, who buys a magazine now? We don't even know what a book is. Everything's on the computer. But I'm telling you, if you can't keep your eyes off the wicked sights of the computer, maybe you don't need a computer. Hmm. Well, you say, well, I'll get rid of my computer, but I got my iPhone. Maybe you don't need an iPhone. Your smartphone may be dumber than you think. If your smartphone is ensnaring you and causing you to sin, 
and that's leading your heart and soul, let me tell you, you ought to throw that thing away. Or bring it to me. I'll sell it and put the money in the building fund for the <laughs> children's building. But you don't need it. You don't need it. Jesus is sharing with us this principle of taking drastic, severe measures when struggling with sin. And he's telling us that anything, anything that stands between me and my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I ought to deal with it radically. Some of you in this building this morning, you thinking your relationship is not important to Jesus, but that's the most important relationship you can have. There's no other relationship more important than your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just quickly, I'm almost out of time. Uh, tonight is going to, I'll hit the positive part of this, uh, but uh, let me just hit a few negative things here. Uh, the consequences of adultery. What happens when adultery uh, happens? Not, I'm just not talking about physical adultery. I'm talking about what he's referring here to is adultery in our soul, adultery in our heart. What happens? Well, number one, adultery is double dealing and deceit. It's dishonest. It promotes deceit. A lot of times we speak of adultery as unfaithfulness, especially unfaithfulness to the marriage vow. Uh, the person who lives in immorality cannot be trusted, not going to be able to be trusted. When David committed his adultery, the first thing he'd done was try to cover it up by deceit. That's a normal thing to do. Where there is immorality, there's dishonesty, and there's an unwillingness to acknowledge any wrongdoing. I looked back. This was in 1987. Uh, so I hope it's far enough back where you say, well, he's just picking on the Democrats or whatever. There was a guy, May the 3rd, 1987, uh, Gary Hart had a fling with a blonde model. And uh, Donna Rice, it finally in, in, erupted, you know, and uh, he had promised her he had a townhouse in Washington and a boat trip to Bimini and uh, all that. Now, that was, uh, that was May the 3rd, 1987. May the 5th, he admitted he'd made a big mistake, but it's insisted he'd done nothing immoral. That's May the 5th, two days later. May the 8th, he announced he was withdrawing from the presidential race. May 25th, he's got a picture there with him and Donna Rice sitting on his lap, uh, and that was on the front page of the papers. September 22nd, Hart told Ted Koppel on ABC TV Nightline he had not been absolutely faithful throughout his marriage. Hmm. December 15th, he announced he had decided to re-enter the presidential race. January the 9th, he told a newspaper in Des Moines, Iowa, that if elected, he wouldn't be the first adulterer in the White House. Mm. By January the 13th, he had received almost a million dollars of taxpayers' money for his campaign. On January the 15th, at the Democratic presidential candidate debate in Iowa, he maintained, and listen, here's the key, that there is a difference between public morality and private morality. Now, that's 1987. Where do you think we are today? I hear it all the time. Preacher, that, you know, that's good for you all on Sunday. That's good for your spiritual. But we're in a world out here. We're, we're living in this world. We've got to do this in this world. No, you're Christianity. That, why do you think you're salt and light? You're to be seasoning the world. The world's not to be seasoning us. We're to be seasoning the world. 
Proverbs 30, verse 20 says this, Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. Mm. Adultery, secondly, is debased and degrading. Mm. Some people today call it free love. Uh, bringing the beast out in me. Boy, I'll tell you. Uh, that, that kind of dignity doesn't inspire anybody to do anything great for God. The guilt that comes from this kind of living will make that person feel lousy. You finally got what you want, but I'm going to tell you in the middle of it, you're still feeling lousy. And then uh, adultery leads to disgrace and dishonor. It dishonors the Lord. It dishonors the sinner. The worst thing about it, it dishonors God. Uh, and when David confessed his sin finally in Psalm 51, he didn't start out by saying, I've dishonored Uriah, I dishonored uh, Bathsheba, I've dishonored the baby that was born. He said, God, against you and you only have I sinned. It's against the Lord. Proverbs 6.32, Whosoever committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get and his reproach shall not be wiped away. It also depletes and puts us into debt. It's expensive. Uh, man, I mean, it can leave you busted and broke and ruined for the future. It also is a disease and the decay of health, venereal diseases and those things like that. We find a cure for them, and almost as quick as we find a cure for that one, there's another one that breaks out that no one has a cure for. You know what the cure is? abstinence if sex is inside the marriage couple there'd be no there'd be no diseases mm. well I won't stay there long let me just uh, hit a couple of more here and I'm through it's a disloyalty to a spouse and possible divorce I uh, I'll just close with this one family was returning from Sunday school one day where the Ten Commandments had been taught the little boy looked over at his father and he said, Daddy, what does it mean when the Bible says, Thou shalt not commit agriculture? Mm. The daddy hardly missed a beat. And he said, Son, that just means that you're not supposed to plow the other man's field. Folks, in this church... I want to tell you, I know, I know things are different. I know that. But I want to tell you, we need to refrain from trying to get in another man's fence and plow their field. Some of that going on don't need to happen. And as your pastor, I'll do everything I can to keep it from happening. I promise you. Our staff would do everything. We've had people come in this church before when I've told my staff, don't you leave them alone for a minute. Don't leave them alone. Follow them everywhere they go. And you know what happened? They don't take but a week or two and they're out of here. Now, that don't always happen. But I want to tell you, you need to honor your marriage vows. You took those vows for better or for worse. And I realize that we're in days where... Number one, it takes two people to make a marriage. And if you've got someone that just says, I'm not going to do it, 
you're just hitting a brick wall. I'm not saying that. There's abuse that goes on today. There's different things. I'm not telling you that you don't have a reason to be divorced. You very well could. I'm just telling you, don't make it flippant and the first thing you say. Live for the Lord. Even, the Bible says, that even if you've got someone that you've married and they're not saved, as long as they'll live with you, you live with them. Because they got a better chance of being saved if they're living with somebody that's saved. Now listen to me. That means both of y'all were lost when you got married. Hmm? Most of our young people are over in children's church this morning. But I tell you, our young people need to know. They don't need to be dating people that are not saved. You don't, need to have, you don't need to go out on a date. Well, preacher, it's just a date. Those are the ones the devil will let you fall in love with. If, if they're not saved, I'll just tell you right now, you don't have any business going out on a date with them. And for goodness sakes, you know, don't come ask Brother Case or I to marry when one of you is saved and one of you is lost because we're not going to do it. Why would I want to marry somebody that I know is setting themselves up for destruction? That's that last thing there on divorce, destruction. <laughs> True story. Vera Cermak of Prague, Czechoslovakia, discovered that her husband was cheating on her. She contemplated murder and suicide. She decided to jump from a third-story window and commit suicide. She leaped out of the third-story window she only suffered minor injuries because she landed on her husband on the street below, killing him. <laughs> True story. <laughs> ah. Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, don't even have lust in your eyes. Keep everything you can away. We're going to do the positive side tonight, but this morning, maybe this very morning, first thing you need to do, if you're not saved and you don't know the Lord, don't worry about adultery. You're going to hell. It doesn't matter about adultery. What you need to do is come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you do that by just coming and saying, I'm nothing. He's everything. Forgive me my sin. I trust the Lord was, was saved, uh, was, uh, died on Calvary and rose again the third day, and I want him to take over my heart and my soul my life. And he'll come in and save you. I believe it's God's will everyone in this room be saved today. It's not God's will you be lost and go to eternal damnation. It's God's will you be saved. He wants to save you today. But maybe today you're here and you, know, you say, I, I know I'm saved. But preacher, there's some things in my life that you need to come down here to this altar and you need to kneel or you need to stand right here at this altar and you need to say, Lord, I need some help getting rid of these things. You say, I just can't do that. Yes, you can. Jesus didn't die in vain. His death, his resurrection proves that we can if we desire to. And so this morning, I don't know. Maybe you need to join this church. Whatever decision you need to make, we're going to pray and have a hymn of invitation. 
and offer you a time to come and uh, just get before the Lord. Father, thank you this morning for the joy to be in this place. I thank you for your scripture. Lord, uh, sometimes it's hard to take and hard to digest. But, Lord, we know in the bottom of our heart that you're a good, good father. We know that you love us even more than we love ourselves. And we know that your word is for our benefit and not our hindrance. So I ask you, O Lord, today to have your way in every life in this building today. God, don't let a soul leave this place until we've done what you've asked us to do. Whatever it is, whatever you want from us, we'll praise your holy name in Jesus' name. Amen.